You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. And he was a good friend. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Well, let me begin this morning with a disclaimer that you may have just possibly seen a clip of one of the best movies of all time mixed with a clip from one of the worst movies of all time. Um, There is an enormous faction of us that just wish episodes one, two, and three were just never made. Uh, That was like watching Casablanca and Ishtar roll into one. (laughs) Nevertheless, um, we needed to know the story of, of Anakin Skywalker. I remember the first time that I saw Darth Vader, um, and when he walks through that hole in the ship and, and then takes that rebel soldier and lifts him up with one hand in the air. And the idea that that guy had ever been good at some point was pretty ludicrous. Um, pretty hard to believe. But then you find out that Darth Vader didn't just kill Anakin Skywalker. He was Anakin Skywalker. And you just go, well, what in the world happened? Well, he was seduced. Here's the thing. Anakin Skywalker, when you watch these movies, if you can tolerate it, he was sold a distortion of the truth. It sounded a lot like the truth, but it was a distortion of the truth. And distortion, when it keeps moving away from the truth, it ultimately winds up leading to perversion. And perversion, in the end, will lead to death. Distortion leads to perversion, and perversion, in the end, leads to death. That's how a lot of cults get started. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, There's a cult called the Children of God, and it began in probably the mid-60s, maybe late-60s, by a guy named David Berg. Everybody called him Moses. 
And this cult began really just as an evangelistic movement to try and reach hippies in California. And it was pretty effective. But the longer and longer that it went, the more and more this group became not about the word of God, but it became about David Berg. And it all began to center around him. And finally, he moved his little crew over into Europe. And, and by the, the early 70s, it was so far off the deep end um, that it, it almost began just fizzling. But, but what wound up happening was they were combining what they called religious prostitution and evangelism. And that's exactly what you think it sounds like, as if that's an evangelistic tool. Um, but everything began to center around Berg himself, and it, it didn't start that way, but that's where it wound up. Another example, the Branch Davidians, David Koresh. I don't know how well you remember all of that. Um, I was a seminary student when all that happened. I got really sucked into paying attention to that whole standoff on TV. I think it went from the OJ trial to that, maybe. And I remember one day I came home from class, was going to eat, and I was going to go to work. And I turned on the TV to watch this, and I'm eating a sandwich, and I thought, there's smoke coming out of that building. And four hours later, there I still sat, watching it burn to the ground. And I remember over those months just thinking, how could anybody so foolishly, ignorantly follow this guy to their death. But what's really, really perplexing is if you go back and you watch or you listen to things that David Koresh taught in the very beginning, they weren't really that far from the truth. But this distortion came in and it just kept moving further and further away from the truth to perversion and perversion at this point obviously literally led to death. It never seems to begin there, though. It doesn't begin with death. Satan never shows up at our door and knocks and says, hey, I got an idea that'll lead you to death. And we go, oh, great, sell me some of that. It, it doesn't work that way. This is what was happening in the churches in Galatia. Galatia was this region in what we would consider today like southern Turkey. There were multiple churches that would have been part of this, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, churches that you hear mentioned throughout the New Testament. Paul had helped plant many, if not most, or even all of these churches, and he receives word that many of the people are turning from the gospel. And he's not only shocked, he's pretty furious. And so he sits down immediately to write them a letter. And there is a a truth that you're not only going to see and hear this morning as we look at the beginning of Galatians, but woven all throughout the letter. And the truth is this, there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel. And in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God came and lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross and that he rose from the dead and that he and he alone offers us new life. In that gospel, we find forgiveness and freedom. Forgiveness and freedom. 
for the sake of maybe coming up with a different picture of what we might think of when we hear the word freedom because we seem to be a patriotic people, I want to give you a few images, pictures, scenarios to think through with me for a minute. Imagine a family living in a country where for as long as they can remember, because of their faith, they are facing not only persecution, but poverty. They are constantly um, worried, uh, fearful for their lives. And one night, this mother and father decide, we've had enough, and they wake their kids up, and they sneak out, and they cross the border, not only into a new country, but into a new life. And they completely shed their persecution, the poverty, all of it. Imagine a man imprisoned 30, 35, 40 years for a crime that he didn't commit. And finally, because of DNA, the truth comes out and he's released and he walks out the door and for the first time, and over half of his life sees the tops of trees and sees birds and cars and, uh, you know, a steak and a baked potato. He tastes all that. How about a, a woman addicted to drugs, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, who has finally come to the point in her life where she hits bottom and she gets herself clean until there is not an ounce of drugs left in her body, and she wants nothing to do with those things ever again in her life. These are real stories that happen every single day with people being liberated from slavery and into freedom. And so now imagine for a moment, if you will, someone coming and dragging these people luring these people, seducing these people back into slavery. Someone coming again and falsely accusing. Someone coming and offering addiction. The churches in Galatia, they were mixed with Jews and Gentiles. And at some point, many of the Jews, they began to think, well, Jesus, this is all great, but we can't let go of all the other things that we've been told to do. And so what they began to do was they began to impose upon the Gentiles. You know, uh, Paul came and preached the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for us. That's enough. That's true. But if you really want to be right with God, then you've also got to keep the law. You've got to be circumcised. There's still all these things you've got to do. And it wasn't just Jews within the church. There were preachers coming in from the outside. And they were basically telling these Gentiles who for the first time in their lives, they spent all their lives thinking we can never be a part of God's people. Now they are a part of God's people because of what Jesus has done. And they're being told, nope, that's just not going to cut it. That, that's not going to be enough. What was happening was these Jews were selling them a distortion of the gospel. And Paul finds out about this, and he is not going to have it. And he starts writing. So look with me this morning 
in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now you know if you've read any letter by Paul that Paul begins all of his letters not just with an address of who he is and kind of a prayer, but some sort of affirmation, right? Some sort of word of kindred spirits and encouragement. Well, look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul opens this letter up and he speaks pretty powerfully to a few certain issues. And he's not attempting to start a conversation or a dialogue. He wants these people's full attention. He's hacked and he's got something to say. And and you'll notice he didn't go into his normal pleasantries. He just jumped straight into, I am absolutely blown away that you've allowed this to happen. He wants their attention. Not because they're compromising one of the essentials or one of the non-negotiables like we talked about last week. They are compromising the essential, the gospel itself. And so Paul begins by setting some very foundational things straight. The first thing. I'm astonished to not just hear that someone has heard and also, though, believed the gospel, but afterwards could turn away from this. That somebody could not only hear, but believe the gospel and then turn away. And what Paul communicates here is that this turning away is mostly astonishing, not because they're turning away from some doctrine but they're turning away from God himself. They are turning away from Jesus himself because to reject the salvation that Christ offers is to reject Jesus Christ himself. This is why C.S. Lewis made the statement that he did in some roundabout way that you don't get the liberty of saying, well, you know, I like some of the things Jesus taught or Jesus was a really good teacher. I just don't consider him to be Lord. You can't have it that way. Because when you read the Gospels and you read everything that Jesus taught, what you have is either the the man exactly who he says he is, the son of the living God, or he's the most egomaniacal, just full of himself psycho that's ever walked the earth. That's not a good teacher. 
So either he is Lord and Savior, and because of that, a great teacher, or he's somebody that you really don't need to listen to. And, and the, the Jews are leading the Gentiles into this idea that, yeah, what Jesus taught you, that's great and all, but you still got to have all of these other things. It's astonishing because you've not only heard it, but you've believed it, and now you're turning away from Christ himself. And it's also astonishing because this isn't like you're turning away from some other version of slavery or some newfound list of rules. You're turning away and rejecting grace. You are rejecting that the God of the universe has fully, wholly, and completely forgiven. And you're saying, yeah, I don't think so. And this is why, okay, so Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There's the bad news. But this is why Paul later writes to the Roman, Romans, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Satan's first concern, Satan's aim, is to undermine, distort, to pervert the heart of the gospel, which is salvation by grace through faith that the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are enough for salvation. Satan, again, does not show up with a full-blown, perverted version. If he does, we're able to go, yeah, 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 I've seen that before. But that's not how he comes. He comes and he just wants to distort things a little. This is why I want you to check out this verse in 1 Corinthians 14. Listen to what Paul says, verse, chapter 14 Verse 20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. You and I had better be, as followers of Christ, growing up in our faith, growing up in our knowledge of the word of God, growing up in our sensitivity to the spirit of God, because Satan is going to keep coming. And if you remember what Paul told the Ephesian elders many, many times, he's not going to come through somebody that's an atheist, through somebody who's a pagan, through somebody who's practicing witchcraft. He's going to come from within. Be on guard. So the second thing Paul starts talking about with the Galatians in this letter is that rejection of the gospel leaves a person under the curse of sin. Not just rejection of the gospel, but the, the presentation, if you will, of a false gospel. It leaves someone under the curse of sin. And Paul uses this word here, and he uses it twice, the word accursed. That word, in the language of the text, is a word called anathema. It even sounds nasty to me, anathema. But it, I've given you some scriptures there, I believe in your sermon notes, where you can further see in the New Testament where this word is used, where this idea is talked about. 
But this idea of anathema, it means complete separation and rejection of God and from God. And and when we begin to see the idea that this word presents, that word ought to strike fear in us, almost like the explosion of thunder and lightning to a child that hears it for the very first time. Like, I don't want any part of this anathema thing. I want to make sure that everything I think and that I believe and that I testify to is wholly lining up with the gospel. But Paul says that when you come and you present a false gospel, when you reject the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, that anathema that hangs over you, you are still under the curse of sin. Finally, Paul says even though I am fully aware that my words may be upsetting or offending some people, that's not really my biggest concern. That's not really the thing I'm going to lose sleep over. Basically what Paul is saying here is, I am much more concerned with you being eternally separated from God than you are being temporarily offended by me. And I think that what Paul says to the Galatians, you and I, we probably need to pray and ask God to more and more and more every day bring our hearts to that place. That I have such a greater concern about my friend, my neighbor, my loved one being eternally separated from God than them being maybe temporarily offended by me. Paul says, that's not my concern. My greatest concern is that you've been sold some lies And that you let go of those lies and that you come back to the truth. The truth that you'll see what he says here. You're turning to a different gospel, but then he adds, not that there is one. The truth is, there isn't really a different gospel. Because anything else other than Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised is no gospel at all. And so... A little spiritual math equation for you this morning that I know many of you, you've seen this or you've heard this, but I think we need to put it to heart. And if you're no good at math, that's okay, me neither. You'll get this one, all right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you know, we hear that We read that, we see that on a little bumper sticker or something, and we go, yes, that's right, amen. Preach it, bumper sticker. Yet, many of us, even somewhere, maybe even below the surface, at times, on certain days, maybe in seasons of our life, we don't live like that. There are a lot of times that we see people add to the gospel, ourselves included. We begin living in such a way that what we are saying, maybe not with our mouth, but with the way that we're living, with the way that we are thinking, is that it's Jesus plus something. So for a minute, let's talk about maybe some of those things that might wind up in that blank 
I think sometimes there are some of us that we allow ourselves to be seduced back into thinking that Jesus plus being a good person who does good things, that that's what's making me right with God. And, and there may be some of you here today who you lay your head down on the pillow at night and your peace, it, it ebbs and flows, it comes and goes because you're still somehow selling yourself that I just don't know if I've done quite enough to match up. I don't know if I've done quite enough for God to love me the way that he loves her, the way that he loves him. Sometimes we are seduced into thinking that Jesus plus reading my Bible and praying and, oh, I have a quiet time every single day and I serve, man, I outserve everybody in my church and I go on every mission trip. In fact, don't tell the pastor. I go on mission trips with other churches. I just, I do it all. And, and, and that's great, but you know what? You are probably bringing yourself to a place of not just physical, but spiritual exhaustion. Because if you're finding your rest in those things, you will never rest. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Those people who are weary and heavy laden, you know what? They're probably not out partying all night they're probably serving their brains out because they think that's what they've got to do to make the Father love them. And Jesus is going, would you just come here for a minute? You know why we don't like those people with the free hugs t-shirts? Because a lot of times, I think that's who Jesus wants to come as. Because he knows, he's like, just come here. Come here. And, And those people freak me out. Because, you know, I, I don't want to be still. And I don't know you. I don't want you hugging me either. But I think sometimes Jesus is going, you just need me. Some people buy into the lie that Jesus plus all the stuff that God wants to bless me with. That that's what it's going to take. Because there are people sitting in worship gatherings all over the place this morning, today, who are believing that they have not received that next gift from the the Father, that they haven't received that special blessing. And we're not just talking about money here, but that there's something else and they're missing it. And, And they walk through life feeling just condemned, feeling inferior, feeling like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna match up. Well, let's round it out with this last one that I hate. How about Jesus plus everyone's approval? I hate it because that's the one that camps out on the doorstep of my heart all the time. I want to be liked. I do. You want to be liked, don't you? We all do. And then you come to the realization that not every other human on the planet loves you, likes you the way you think they ought to. And you feel like a 747 that just lost both its wings. (whistles) 
the fact of the matter is, maybe we're not believing that we need those things for salvation. But we live like our peace, our hope, our joy, our satisfaction that they're found in Jesus plus whatever it may be. And if we're doing that, then please hear me. We are not just buying, but we are selling a distorted version of the gospel. We're buying it because we're giving of ourselves for it. It's a lie. It's exhausting us. But we're selling it because, believe me, other people are watching the distortion of the gospel that we're believing. They're watching it being lived out in how we live, how we act, how we talk, how we think. Forgiveness and freedom are only found in Jesus Jesus alone. And I think that some of us, we don't mean to do this, but we walk through our day and we are either continuing to condemn ourselves or continuing to condemn everybody else. We know us from John 3.16, don't we? We do. I bet you that tonight... 530, it's going to be on a sign somewhere back behind Peyton Manning. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Some of you may have said everlasting, but we all get the same picture, right? Can you quote John three seventeen? Because if you can't, I want to encourage you throughout this week to just meditate on this fact. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And folks, there are a lot of days I think that we feel like Jesus is waiting to further condemn us. And Jesus told this religious leader who came in the middle of the night to his door, not because he didn't want to wake anybody else up, you know, and disturb their sleep, but because he pridefully didn't want anybody to know that he didn't know all the answers. And Jesus takes Nicodemus by the hand and says, hey man, I'm here because the father loves you so much that I'm going to give my life for you. And understand, I didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. Folks, nobody in this world that we live in needs any more condemnation. There is condemnation aplenty. It's out there. That's not why Jesus came. So let's be reminded today of why he did come. Look with me as we close in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verse 1, listen to what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could probably just stop there, right? There is absolutely zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. What God 
For God has done what the law, God has done what Moses and the law and circumcision, God has done what those things weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of men, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now that leads me to make sure that we are all asking ourselves this question. Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? And this is less about my feet and more about my heart. Where am I walking Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Well, peace and joy and hope and satisfaction in Christ, those things ought to be prevalent in my life. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 31. What then shall we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also, with Jesus, graciously give us all good things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is right this moment at the right hand of God, indeed interceding for us. Friends, that is the gospel. Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's all that you need. Jesus, Jesus, and more Jesus. This morning, I want to wrap up by not just sharing with you, teaching you, over the course of the next weeks and months, we are going to, as a church, take this and embrace this. If you've never read J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, throughout the book, he presents what he calls the gospel prayer. And this morning, I want to just teach you the very first part of it. And I want to encourage you that every day of this week that you wake up and that you begin your day meditating on this prayer, meditating in the scriptures. But it begins like this. To the Father... Father, I today acknowledge, I believe, I proclaim that in Christ, there is nothing I could do that would make you love me any more than you already do. And there is nothing I have ever done that would make you love me less. I want to ask you to bow your head. And I just want us to take an opportunity this morning one-on-one with the Lord. Take that prayer. And maybe this morning you need to say, Lord, I am fully believing 
and proclaiming over my life. But it may be this morning that what you need to say is, Lord, I'm having a lot of trouble believing, but want to believe that in Christ, there's nothing I can do to make you love me any more than you already do. There's nothing I've ever done that will make you love me less. Would you pray that this morning? Father, we just acknowledge today that because because of what you have done in our lives through your son, because of the cross, because Jesus has defeated sin and death, because your grace and your mercy unconditionally flow over our lives. Father, help us today to rest in knowing that there's nothing we could do to ever make you love us any more than you already do. There's nothing that we've ever done that will cause you to love us less. Lord, help us to rest in knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because the law of sin and death has been defeated and we have been set free. Let's stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.